Well, good morning. It is great to see you here this morning. If you have a Bible, please find your way to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9 will be our text this morning. And while you're turning there, let me say happy Easter. Uh, Wow, it is so awesome to see so many of you here this morning. I just had the opportunity to run around the building and look at our overflow seating is just overflowing. And uh, what a great uh, problem to have. And what a joy it is to be together on Easter Sunday morning to talk about and to celebrate the greatest news in all the world. And uh, I I am so excited to be able to talk to you this morning from God's Word about this great truth. And you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach a talk about Easter. You can talk about the, you know, the historical facts of the resurrection and all the details surrounding it. But you know, this morning, I just want to share from God's Word about why Easter, why the resurrection solves the biggest problem in your life. It doesn't get any more relevant than that. And so this morning, I hope that you'll listen closely to why the resurrection matters to you. And one of the texts that we'll look at is here in Hebrews 9, beginning at verse 11. I'm going to ask if you're able to stand to please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. We here at Berean believe the Bible is fully inspired by God. So God's Word tells us here in Hebrews 9, beginning at verse 11, this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of the defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? God, come. Speak this morning. Spirit, come and open our eyes to truth. I realize there are many in this building, many that are hearing my voice, and there are many things that might distract us over these next few minutes. Lord, I pray by your power that you would bind those things, that we would listen to why the resurrection matters to us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, he he had his eye on her for a few weeks before he finally gathered up the courage to go over and talk to her. Uh, She was a very attractive lady. He was a young, single man. In fact, this man uh, attended the church that I pastored uh, in Illinois before coming here. Uh, He'd been attending for several weeks, and and I want to give him credit. His heart was in the right place. He wanted to worship God. He loved the Lord. He, He was coming to the church for the right reason, but he kind of also hoped that he might find a nice Christian lady to date. Stalker. 
And so he noticed as he was in the service, this particular lady who was always sitting by herself during the, the worship service. And so he, he finally got the courage to go over and talk to her. And so one Sunday before the service started, he, he went over and he sat down beside her and he introduced himself and talked for just a, a few minutes. And then he asked her if she was free on a Saturday night. And much to his disappointment, he was denied. And all God's people said, oh. <laughs> you see, the, the problem wasn't that he was unattractive. It wasn't that he was rude. It wasn't that he was overly aggressive. The problem was just that that attractive lady sitting by herself in the worship service was my wife. When this guy realized that he had just hit on the pastor's wife, he was horrified. I mean, he was mortified. It was awful. Bless his heart. Uh, but you know what? I was gracious to him when I found out. I, I, was, I was very, very humble. In fact, you'll be proud of me. I even offered to do his funeral for free. <laughs> Isn't that nice? I, I thought that was the least I could do, punk. No, seriously, though, I forgave him. I, when I talked to him, I said, don't think another thing about it. And he was so distraught. I had to remind him of my forgiveness often, uh, which was every Wednesday when he came over to wash my car. <laughs> now, most of us have been in a situation, hopefully not like that, you better not, but most of us have been in a situation where we've been rejected, where we've been denied something. Uh, maybe you were that kid who, who was trying to ride the ride, and yet they told you that you weren't tall enough. Oh, it's a lot of sympathy this morning. Maybe you were on that plane when that rude flight attendant had to remind you that that's for first-class passengers only. Or maybe you were driving along and you came upon some road construction and found yourself stuck. <laughs> I don't know which way to go. Or maybe you know it's the right username and password, and yet you keep trying it only to have your computer flash access denied. The worst, maybe, is when you come to church on Easter and they make you set in overflow, right? <laughs> Love you guys. But we all know that, that frustration of being denied. And it's one thing when the access that you're denied is a girl you want to date or a, a road that you want to travel, but it's a much bigger problem when the access that you've been denied is access to God. In fact, that's exactly the situation of those in the Old Testament. In fact, I mentioned to you last week that those in the Old Testament, they would come and they would worship at a place called the tabernacle, and it was given specific instructions on how it was built. Let's say, those of you seated out here, this was the outer court. Anybody could come to this part of the tabernacle. You could come and go whenever you wanted. But, but up here on the stage, this was the holy place, and only priests were allowed to come into this section. And then behind this veil, 
There was a place called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place, and, and only one high priest one time a year was allowed to go behind the veil. In fact, notice how the author here in Hebrews describes this. Look at verse 3 in chapter 9. He says, Behold, the second curtain. Behind it was a second section called the Most Holy Place. In verse 7 it says, And into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Look at verse 8. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. You see, in the tabernacle as well as in the temple in Jesus' day was this large veil. Now, it wasn't there for cosmetic appeal. It wasn't there for temple decoration. The veil stood as a symbolic reminder of the separation between God and man. You could not just walk behind the veil anytime you wanted unless you wanted to die. It was that serious. And you say, well, why the separation? It's easy. Disobedience to God created separation from God. You might jot that down. Disobedience to God created separation from God. Remember the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve and you know they had those conveniently placed leaves and you know God tells them exactly how they're supposed to live. And what do they do? They live their own way. They say we're going to do what we want to do and what does God do? He cast them out of the garden. They were separated. You may remember in the book of Exodus when God spoke to Charlton Heston. Uh, played by Moses. <laughs> and God gave Moses and the people of Israel the law, a very basic, almost universally accepted way of living. I mean, I don't know of anybody that would say, you know, I just think we ought to be able to curse God whenever we want and steal whatever we want and lie to whoever we want and murder anybody we don't like. Nobody says that. Because you know as well as I do that deep down we know there's a right way to live and a wrong way to live, and yet we keep breaking the law. Just like Israel. Now here's the thing. Breaking the law is not just an issue with the law, it's an issue with God. Let me, let me explain it this way. Hypothetically speaking, when I tell my children to do something like pick up their toys or clean their room... If they were to, hypothetically speaking, look back at me and hypothetically say, no, just for illustration, <laughs> their response to me in that moment is not about their unwillingness to pick up toys, it's about their unwillingness to obey their dad. Our disobedience to the way God has told us to live isn't ultimately about the law. It's about underneath the surface is a heart that is in rebellion to God. Right here. Thus, the veil. So what do you do? I mean, after all, 
folks, we're talking about the biggest issue in all of life. Namely, having a relationship with God. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Augustine said that we were made by Him and our hearts are restless until they find rest in Him. One of the bands that I like, Mumford & Sons, they've got a great song, Awake My Soul, and it talks about how we were made to meet our Maker. Regardless of what the opinion polls might say in our culture, the biggest issue in your life is a relationship with the One who created you. Which means the biggest problem in life is being separated from that Creator, the veil. And so what they did is they sent in a representative. Uh, the Bible calls him a high priest. They, they put their confidence in the hands of someone else. And they went in behind the veil one day a year with blood. A sacrifice. Now you may be here and say, man, blood, that's just so gross, you know. Uh, you see blood and some of you, you, you respond. Or you just, you're kind of taken back. You don't do that with ketchup. Or, or fruit punch. or there's, We all know that there's something about blood that has to do with life and death. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. If you think blood is gross, imagine how our sin looks before a pure and holy God. And so they did this over and over and over again to try to get behind the veil, to try to get to God, to try to be able to be in God's presence, not just occasionally, but all the time. To go from access denied to access granted because the greatest need in our life is a relationship with God. Where did it get them? Look at Hebrews 10 here on the same page or a page over in verse 1. Notice what the author says. He says that since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Do you know where all this religious stuff got them? Right back where they started, behind the veil. Why? Well, first of all, their representative, the high priest, was a sinner. Note to self, if you're going to have somebody represent you before God, you might not want to rely on somebody who's in the same condition you're in. And what's an animal? How is an animal going to solve the problem between God and man. It's a, it's a gift that's not sufficient. It, it's like uh, sometimes in my home, my little three-year-old girl, like I'll be in my office or something and she'll come in and she'll say, I got a surprise for you. You know, her hands are behind her back. Daddy, daddy, close your eyes. And so I'll close my eyes. Hold out your hands. And I'll hold out my hands. And 
She'll put something in there and she'll say, surprise! And I'll open my eyes and be like, yay, my keys. <laughs> you know, or my wallet or my cell phone. It's like, that's so sweet. But it's not really a gift because it's already mine. And all these sacrifices over and over again and the response is, it's not enough. Now, if you think that I'm talking about some type of ancient relic, about a veil, or some type of irrelevant system, like all this sacrifice, you're wrong. This has everything to do with you and me. And here's why. Come in closer. Because every single one of us in this room, in the overflow rooms, in every room, everywhere, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Full transparency, there are things in my life I'm not proud of. There are things I continue to do I'm not proud of. There are things I think about I'm not proud of. Anybody with me? I mean, would anybody in here say, well, I'm perfect? And if you would, that's a lie, and I'm pretty sure that's a sin. So, ha! <laughs> the Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. Which means their problem is your problem. And it's my problem. And not only that, but every one of us in these rooms, we, we, we seek some type of representation. Well, my, my wife's a Christian. My, my, my parents go to church. I, I was raised in church. I'm even a member at a church. Or the one I hear the most of when I have, have faith conversations with people is that I'm pretty good. I mean, I do some good things. I give to charity. I go to church some. I, you know, I try to be a good person. Let me, let me ask you this. Do you really think when you stand before the God of the universe that your little bit of charitable giving is ultimately going to be enough to make you right with God? It's about like my daughter coming to me saying, here's, here's, here's your keys. And not only that, we, we offer up sacrifices. The occasional prayer, again, a little bit of money, some good works, all these types of things. But here's the point. We all know just like they knew it's not enough, which leaves us just like them stuck behind the veil. Now, are you ready for the greatest news in all the world? If I stopped there, this would be the most depressing Easter ever. <laughs> but the message of Easter weekend takes us further, and notice what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 11. Now, if you're new, you're just going to have to accept that I'm about to get really excited. Verse 11 says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and the more perfect tent or tabernacle that's not made of hands, it's not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Don't you see? I think the greatest two words in all the Bible are, but Christ. Because the veil says, you can't come before God, but the Bible says, but Christ. 
The veil says you can't do enough, but the Bible says, but Christ. The veil says you can't represent yourself before God, but the Bible says, but Christ. The good news of Easter weekend is that because you and I couldn't get behind the veil, God came out from behind the veil, became a man, went back in, and offered up a sacrifice, namely himself. And he did it when he died on the cross. You say, how do you know? It's because you and I were separated from God. And what did Jesus scream from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated so you wouldn't have to be. It's because you and I, in trying to make things right with God, because that was a work that you and I could never complete, Jesus screamed on the cross, It is finished! And man, when He did, something amazing happened. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and He yielded up His Spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Mashallah. Because of what Jesus did, 
the separation that existed between God and man year after year after year after year was no more. Can we just give Jesus the praise that He deserves this morning for what He did? I told you this is the greatest truth ever. And some of you may be there thinking, but what does this have to do with the resurrection? Would somebody please tell that preacher, this is Easter? I know. And notice what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, verse 19. Oh, this, this is good. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, here it is, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. You say, what does this have to do with the resurrection? I'll tell you what this has to do with the resurrection. Jesus provides a new, and did you catch that living way? What that means is unlike the animals that died, unlike the priest who died, unlike our attempts to get to God, which the Bible calls dead works, Jesus stared death in the face and lived to tell about it. Amen. And listen, that's why I'm telling you that Jesus is the only one who can provide for you what you need. Because everything else ended up along this path dead, except Jesus. And that's why He offers you a new and living way. Not the same old, same old, same old religious attempts to hope it'll be enough, but one look at Jesus by faith knowing He is enough. Um, I think my son was about three or four when um, he, we, we'd gotten him a children's uh, Bible and he loved the story about Jesus' death on the cross for some weird reason. And I remember one time I came home and he asked me, Dad, would you read me the story of Jesus' death? And so he got in my lap and we took the book and we, we read about Jesus being arrested and him being beaten and then on the cross. And I just I looked at my son and I said, what happened next? And there was this long pause and I figured he was recalling ancient Jewish literature or you know, recalling the works of Josephus, you know, something like that. And he finally looked at me and he said, Jesus ate a chocolate bunny. <laughs> and I said, what kind of theology is your mother teaching you? <laughs> Fortunately, now, if you ask him that, he'll say, Jesus came back alive. You see, the torn veil and the cross mean nothing if the bones of Jesus are still laying in a Middle Eastern grave. But because they're not, because three days later they got up and walked out, Jesus and only Jesus offers you this morning a new and living way. You say, what does that mean? I'll tell you and I'm done. Here's what it means right here. Jesus and only Jesus offers to you 
the full forgiveness of your sin. You see, the veil was torn. It wasn't folded and put neatly in the corner. It wasn't just taken off the hooks and and put down somewhere. The divine hand of God tore the veil. Why? So that your record of sin, everything that you've done in disobedience to God, would be torn as well. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and when sinners plunge beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. You'll never do that for you. Only Jesus can. Jesus provides a new and a living way, which means that only Jesus can provide for you a relationship with God. You see, one man, one time a year, could go behind the veil. Well, the good news of Easter is one man's gone behind the veil, and he's tore it, which means every one of you this morning can enter in. You don't have to be a certain kind of person. You don't have to have a certain type of family or background. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Only Jesus can do that for you. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, you, right now, Okay, forget the Easter tie, forget the Easter flowers, forget the Easter meal right now. If you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God did what? Raised him from the dead, you will be saved and enter in to a relationship with God. Jesus offers a new and living way because only He can forgive you of everything. Only He provides a relationship with God for I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And lastly, only Jesus can provide you the confidence you need. I love how the author says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter, because here's what I know about some of you this morning in this room. You don't think this applies to you. You'd say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've been thinking about this whole service. Do you not think a torn veil and an empty tomb is enough proof to you for God to tell you how much He loves you? What do you want Him to do? Die? And rise again? Oh, wait. He already did. And so Jesus gives you the assurance and the confidence that you are loved by God. And you'll never be able to do that for you. Let me end with this thought. It's, it was said of William Randolph Hearst, who was one of the most wealthiest people of the 20th century. I mean, he collected art from all over the world. And it's said of him that one day he was reading through a magazine and he he saw a picture of a painting that he had to have. 
desperately wanted it. He hired an agent and told him to go out to search and to find it, but he couldn't find it. He hired a detective agency and told them to go find it, and they couldn't find it either. After thousands of dollars and almost two years of searching, finally, a detective came to Mr. Hearst and he said, we found the painting. Hearst demanded, where was it? And the man looked at him and said, sir, it was in your own warehouse. Imagine having the very thing your heart so desperately wants right there in front of you and you miss it. The writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near. Right here, Berean, the question this morning is not can you draw near? The question is will you? Because the only barrier keeping you from God is a barrier that you have made because Jesus tore the veil. So I ask you this Easter morning, why live your life distant from God when the whole point of Easter is you don't have to? Let's pray. God, I pray that we stand amazed at Your truth. Not a service, not a message. We stand amazed of the Gospel. We who do not deserve a relationship with You have been shown grace through the cross and the resurrection. And we see that through the tearing of a veil that we can now come into Your presence because of Jesus. And Lord, I just, I just plead with You that there is not a single person here this morning who has been offered that truth only to see them walk away from it. So God, would You work in every heart this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.